What's up, man? Can't hear you. Hold on. How about now? Boom. We got it, dude. All right. Cool. Yeah. How are you, bro? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Glad you, to be here. Are you quarantined right now? Yeah. I'm, I'm literally in a closet. I see that, dude. Like, um, was this like your little uh, like podcasting closet at your house or something? What do you got going on here? <laughs> well, it's 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 more than just that. It's like where I edit. It's where I do all my work. Um, you know, I had a building that I worked in, and then um, the the guy who who owned the building sold it out from underneath me, and then you know we we end up in this quarantine situation like not too long after that. So I just took all of my stuff that was in my closet, took it out to my storage unit, put it in my storage unit and converted this closet into a workspace. So it works for a lot of things. It works for, uh, I've actually done like three podcasts out of here and, um, and I edit in here all the time. I call it the closet command center. A few of my friends have given it different names. There's, you know, the closet command center, the, the, the closet of solitude, uh, you know, whatever you will. I've probably spent way too much time in here. There was one point where I, I, I didn't leave, leave the room for like a week because I had so much, uh, so much video editing to do that I was in here a full week. So I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get out today and go out into the woods and go to my, my little forest dojo that I go to work out. You and Nate, you and Nate have something planned? Are you going with Nate? No, but I need to take him out there at some point because uh, I, I, I've been sending him pictures of it. I found a spot that I go and I work out in the woods and I sent it to him and I'm like, this is my forest dojo. And he's like, oh, bro, that's beautiful. It's the real dojo. Yeah, <laughs> so. dude, I, I've been seeing you post about it as well. Well, hey, let me give you an intro real quick. Um, okay. And then we'll just segue into talking about what you do and stuff. So, Josh Irwin, okay. uh, first time on the podcast, man. I've been wanting to uh, have have you on. I've talked to you about it like two times, uh, and I'm yeah. and I'm doing all kinds of podcasts right now with people that normally it would be hard to get them in the studio, um, but uh, I'm just doing these distance casts. Working out well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to, to be doing it. It's, it's, it's a, a great opportunity to, to talk to somebody like you that has such a, a wide variety of uh, interest and philosophy on things that I think we share from, from history to martial arts to just life in general. And uh, you seem like a guy that's like just really connected with life. And, you know, I, I followed you and I, I'm really impressed with so many things that you've got going on. Like, I, I really think it's cool the, the way that you, you, you guys run your gym. Um, and during the quarantine, the way that you guys have made use of social media and video to, to, to keep people training, um, just really neat. And uh, I, I can't wait to come down there at some point and see your, your new location because it looks really, really cool. Well, bro, like I've said in the past, if you ever make the trip, um, we can do some training together. I'll show you anything. Because that's how we first met, is you came to right. a seminar. Uh, so thanks for attending the seminar. Um, I have some video from that seminar that's like one of our most viewed videos on our channel. Yeah. Um, I shared it the other day. It was like a back take option from... Uh, from an arm drag. Yeah. Yeah, it was a back take yeah. from an arm drag, and it was cool. I still, I, I still remember it, and I've used it a couple of times. And I, one thing that really struck me um, about that particular seminar was like I, I really liked your teaching style, and and I, I feel like you, you really uh, made the the sequence easy to understand, and and uh, I, it was like it clicked instantly what you were what you were showing us, and I thought it was pretty neat. It's it's you and Nate kind of share that same way of, of breaking it down to its simplest elements and then making it something that's easy to like look at and go, okay, Oh, I get that, you know? So. 
Man, I tried to relate to Nate, like, how important of an influence he's been on my martial arts. Like, he doesn't even, I don't even think he knows, like, or, or maybe he does, but it'd be hard to realize how profound of an influence he's had on what I do, you know? I mean, because we came up, we, we were in the same gym together and for a couple of years, and then I've just trained with him so much. I mean, the, the guy's my bro, literally. Well, there are all these... There are all these videos of him on on YouTube. You can watch him like win fights and in in the most savage manner possible. But you know, I've told him many times that I feel like that he is as good of a teacher as he is a martial artist, maybe even a better teacher, because there are so many things that he understands that other people, other martial arts instructors don't. I, I mean, I've I've done lots of different martial arts stuff on and on for since about 1994 and he's like just the the neatest teacher i've ever had the neatest instructor i've ever had because he he he's so pure about what he wants to convey and he he genuinely just has a love and a care for his students and he's he's got a very like gentle philosophy about it, it it's so it's so weird because like when i when i very I first started training at Inferno um, back when it was Inferno in Fayetteville. Um, he, everybody was talking about him. I didn't meet him right off the bat and everybody was talking about this guy. Like, you know, he's, he's just a cold blooded killer. You know what I mean? They're like, Oh, this, he knocked this guy out and all this stuff. And we're like, I'm like, do I really want to meet this guy? He sounds like, he sounds like he's just savage, you know? And then I meet him and he's like, the opposite of what I was expecting. He's just like this chill surfer dude, almost like just a total hippie, like, Hey, how's it going? You know? Oh, bro. You know? And, and, um, it just, this Zen quality of the guy, he was just so still, you know, he, he, he is water. You know what I mean? Like that, that Bruce Lee philosophy about be water. That is him. Um, and then there's this, there's this thing where like, he's the most gentle guy you'll ever meet. And then when he puts on gloves, it's like this, this switch is flipped and he becomes the cold blooded killer and you can see it happen. And it's like, that is frightening. Um, Dude, then, I, I know you sparred with him, but just standing <laughs> in front of him when he's like zoned in and like gauging. Oh my gosh. Head. It's, it's frightening. <laughs> One of the hardest, I, I tell people this all the time, one of the hardest times I ever got front kicked, ever, was by Nate. And, like, <laughs> like when it happened, I was like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, it made me question it on, like, a primal level. Like, what are we doing here? It was rough. And he's got, like, he's got, like, a really specific approach to the front kick. You know, where and he'll spend like two weeks going over just the front kick, you know, where it's like you go in, you know, this, he doesn't even really do the teep like everybody else really emphasizes the teep and he likes the front snap kick where where you do it off the lead leg and you, you move in and you close distance with it and you, you strike with it and you pendulum step and you get off the line and you circle around and that's one thing I've, I've really loved about training with him is that he really emphasizes the movement and the footwork. And, you know, it's not just about, okay, you get in you throw a combination. It's like, you know, you stay engaged, you go in, you do the combination, whatever it is, there's a, there's a defensive element to it. Um, and then you always have to move, get out of the way, circle around, you know, you don't just, go in, come out, go in, come out. I mean, that's one thing that in our sparring sessions that he really emphasizes, he's like, oh, you guys are just moving in and moving out, like move around. And um, he's even right now with, with, we're just having to, you know, work different things over virtual classes. He's really drilling in things like, you know, you finish any combination with a cross, you know, bob and weave and shuffle step and get off the line and circle around. And so we're, you know, he'll, he'll make us practice just the shuffle steps for forever. And then, you know, then you do the cross and then you, and then you bob and weave and you shuffle, or if it's a hook, you, you know, you slip and you circle the other direction. And so it's like, and he, you know, he makes us do the, 
you know, like little ropes and, and we got to practice footwork and shuffle and turn and core movement. And, you know, and, and he'll just do a whole class. It's like, you know, you, you go to a, you go to another class somewhere, you're just like throwing combination, the whole class. Like sometimes you go into one of his classes, you just do footwork the whole class. So no, it's, it's it, really neat. Nate, Nate imparted a lot of his philosophies on uh, me like that. Like some of the stuff I've been putting out with all this shadow boxing, because mm -hmm. I've been doing instructionals and then webinar or uh, Zooms rather on shadow boxing. And dude, there's like whole pieces of it. I'm like, I stole this from Nate. Like this, like with, with just different footwork drills, like you're sitting there talking about it. I'm like reciting some of the drills that I've learned from in my head. Um, he programs it into you. Like, boom, there you go. You're, you're, you're spinning around, um, which I think is cool. Um, and then I, I, I've been going out to the to my my forest dojo that I that I practice at out in the woods, and I've been doing it out there a whole bunch, just even in my shoes. And um, that's so him too, you know. Like I, I told you, I've been I haven't taken him out there yet, but I've been sending him photos of it, and he's like, he's like, that's the real dojo. It's all um, you need. <laughs> he would he would love it. We're gonna go out there at some point and 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 do something, hit pads or hit each other. I've only, I've only actually, I've only actually hit him one time. Um, and, and that was, I, I did something he, he didn't expect, uh, you know, because my, I'm a lot like Dring in, in that my journey started with like Taekwondo. And so I did that when I was a teenager, a whole bunch, and I just have maintained the, the Taekwondo kicking ability. Um, and so like I, I, I do i'll spar with people and do all kinds of weird you know like hook kicks and wheel kicks and outside crescent kicks and weird stuff and there was one time that i did an outside crescent kick i didn't expect it to land and i just smashed him right in the face i mean like and he just kind of like looked at me funny and i was like oh i'm sorry i didn't i didn't expect that to land and uh you know, but it didn't phase him. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times he'll get down, he'll tuck his chin, you know, like we were talking about where, where he just dials in and, and I'll come in and I'm at first, you know, you, you fight like your instructor. You're like, what could I do to him? You know what I mean? Like, what could I do to him? And then you kind of come to the realization that like, no, he's there to develop you. You know, and I know that probably as an instructor and a, and a kind of a professor yourself, that this is like, you know, when you spar with your students, you're trying to develop them. And so that's, that's, that's something I kind of figured out with him more easily than I did kind of with in the nineties when I'd fight, you know, the, the teacher, I was like, what am I, what can I do to this guy? You know, is do whatever, you know, just, just go in there. And, um, you know, so I, dial in and I'd, you know, jab, cross, hook, just do a combination just because. And I would land like the hooks and stuff on him. And I'm like, he's letting me land these. But, but then I quickly came to the realization that it was having no effect on him. Like I would hit him with a hook, you know, and his head would not move or anything. It would like, boom, it was like you're hitting a brick wall. And I'm going, oh, he's just taking it. Like, and it, it didn't seem to phase him. Well, it's because he's got, he's got good posture and good positioning and I'm just hitting the top of his head and he's, you know, he's, and I was like, that's interesting, you know, cause that, that gave me like a really, really good insight into, into the defensive aspect of just keeping your chin tucked and keeping good posture. And if someone does hit you, they're going to hit the top of your head. Yeah. Not going to do anything. Man. Um, I remember one time after like a super hard training session, um, and we'd done like all this sparring and I mean, I was just like physically and mentally annihilated and, um, like we were talking about like all the damage we had taken in the sparring rounds <laughs> or something. And, uh, Nate was like, man, I just love getting hit. And uh, I was like, dude, I hate that shit. I hate it. And he was like, what? He you hate it like he could not believe that i hated getting punched in the face and shit and i was just like yeah dude my goal is to not get it <laughs> that totally sounds like him too what you hate it yeah um, here, here's the prize 
And uh, yeah, dude. Well, and you know, I always I stole this saying from somebody else, but like as an instructor, because man, I've got some savages in my gym, and it's like you train snakes, and then and then they bite you. you know? <laughs> like that's just that's the cycle. It's like, oh damn, man, that one that one's gotten fierce. Well, so, I'm, I'm I'm like he says. I try to stay sweet, you know, in the sparring because like. Um, I've been, I've I've both been on the receiving end of it and on the giving end of it where I've where I've landed it really hard on somebody and then felt really bad about it. And so like I just try to be playful with it a lot of times cuz I'm like, ah, we're just having fun. And um but uh yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it, it one of the first things that I did after I started training with him was I started getting him involved in the in the filmmaking that I do. And um <laughs> I had him I had him dressed as a Klingon in, in one of that. Trek fan films. Yeah, we had him we, we, we put him through like a two hour makeup session. His ex girlfriend did his makeup. Like I'd hired his ex girlfriend to be the makeup artist, not knowing that she had dated him. And he's like, Oh dude, that girl's my ex girlfriend. You know, and, and he shows up and it was real sweet and she gave him a hug and then she did his makeup and um he spent like 14 hours in that makeup doing this, this fight scene. Um, we, we, we got there because the studio that we were shooting at had no air conditioning. So it's out in flipping and, and we got out there and yeah, that's a crazy story. A guy just bought all this cheap land and um, put up a big metal building because it didn't cost anything. Cause you know, you know, it doesn't, land costs nothing out there. Why would anyone buy land there? You know? So he buys some land out there, builds a studio and, uh, but it's got no air conditioning. So it, we're shooting in, yeah, it was very beginning of October, but it was still hot. So we'd have to shoot overnight. So we got there at like 9 PM. Didn't even start filming until like 10 or 11 and went to like eight, nine o'clock the next morning. And then we had to like, you know, clean up and take everybody out of wardrobe and makeup. And we literally went all night doing this fight scene. And at one point, this, this, this girl he's fighting has to break a bottle over his head. Well, of course, it's like sugar glass. You know, we, we got some, it's a big sugar glass wine bottle. And so we did it like two or three times. We had like four, four of the prop and she's hit, she's breaking this over his head and then like apologizing after the shot. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? And all this, like, you sure that's not hurting? I'm like, I've kicked this dude in the head, you know, like you're not, you're not hurting him. You couldn't hurt him if you tried. And, and somebody said something like, does it hurt when Josh hits you? And he goes, he doesn't hit me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Dude, so like I wanted to talk to you about um, just kind of like what you do, you know, like I know a little bit about what you do because like I just picked up on it and following you on Facebook and that's like I was like trying to like, hey bro, you want a free private lesson? Give me some trade <laughs> secrets, you know? Yeah. My podcast and video editing, just tips and tricks and stuff. But like what you were involved with some cool stuff and it seems like you have a long history with it. Like, what do you do and how did you get into it? I'm I'm a person who in some ways never grew up. Um <laughs> Bro, I, have, I mean I have a place in the new studio to display off my Star Wars action figures. Oh my gosh. Well then then no, no nothing else needs to be said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um I I uh I, well in some ways I grew up, in some ways I didn't, because why? Um, you know, I, I've got a I've got like a you know, a really strong worth work ethic and I work really hard and, and I and I, I take care of my responsibilities. But, uh, you know, my, my father is in broadcasting here in Arkansas, and he's kind of a legend, Mike Irwin, who he's on, you know, Pig Trail Nation uh, with um, KNWA in Northwest Arkansas. And then, of course, in, the, in Central Arkansas, it's KARK. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been covering Razorback Athletics for, 
40 plus years now. And um, so as a, as a kid, I grew up in a TV station. It was a different TV station. He worked at a different place back then, but I grew up in a, in a television station and it's, you know, to a, to a kid who's six, seven years old, it's the coolest thing in the whole world when you walk into a TV station. And back then in the 80s, you know, the gigantic TV cameras and the, the glowing buttons in the control room and uh, you, you walk into the big, the big TV news studio and it's just like, it's the coolest thing in the world. I made a film about this. Um, you know, I spent my whole childhood like thinking that that the TV station was the coolest place in the world. And then when I turned, you know, 18, I started working there and I quickly figured out that it was a disaster, you know, that it was just a cesspool. It was a rude awakening. Um, it is not the coolest place in the world, but um, I, I made a whole, I made a whole two hour movie called your local news, <clears throat> which is on YouTube about that it, subject I'll link it in the uh, in the description yeah i'll send it to you and so i spent i spent like about four years working in tv news until i decided that you know it was really about the storytelling i mean and and storytelling has been the passion for myself for my dad you know our whole lives like you know the the thing where you go on like a, a really long road trip with your dad and he and he just starts telling like a really good story and he really gets into it that's what my dad is all about and that's what i've always been all about is just telling a great story and so you know once i decided that that tv news full-time wasn't for me i i went to film school in orlando florida full sail and i came back and you know I didn't want to go to like Hollywood or somewhere because that is its own cesspool. Um, and I just, that's not where I wanted to live and make my life and not the kind of thing I wanted to do. Uh, I, you don't have to be a famous filmmaker making a million dollars or be working on a big, big production these days to just tell a story. You know, if you've got the right gear and if you've got the right skill set, in some ways anybody can be a filmmaker. Um, and so for me, it was just about the passion of the storytelling. So, you know, I, right now I own a video production company, Arkansas One Media, which is very diverse in, in what we do. And so I do a lot of commercial type video production, uh, cover a lot of sports, do commercials, do a lot of corporate and retail themed things to pay the bills. And then, you know, when it comes to passion, you know, the, the narrative filmmaking is, you know, what I'm doing to make myself happy. And um, I, I hope to come to a point where, where that transitions into doing a lot of just paying indie work. I've, I, I've started getting those gigs. I've started, you know, I'm uh, working on this movie about a girl who falls in love with a horse. Um, it's not porn, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm working on that now, though. That's that movie is its own version of a disaster. But, you know, we'll finish it. <laughs> it's not my movie. I'm just filming it. So, yeah. Well, uh, sidebar, um, an episode of my podcast I would recommend you listen to. Um, I've had a guy come on who grew up like kind of like you, but in the Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. His his uncle is Jerry Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So he filmed on like Pirates, World's End, um, a whole bunch of Bruckheimer films growing up. Like his mom was in Patch Adams and stuff like that. But his name's Michael Sandow. Um, he's gonna. I was just talking to him yesterday about coming back on. Um, but he lives here in Russellville now. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting because. There, there's, there's a glamour ascribed to any type of media, whether, whether it's TV or whether it's movies or whatever. And yes, that is a thing, but the, the thing that you also have to understand about it is that it's not like having a normal job. You know, a lot of people have a normal job and they go do, go do their job and they go home and they have a life. When you're involved in any kind of media, it eats your life away. It isn't just a job, it's a lifestyle. It, you're committing so much of yourself to that. Um, you know, back with the, with the TV news thing about it being kind of the cesspool it is, is because those, 
those involved with it work, they work weird hours. They may work, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. And a lot of times, you know, they're, they're, they're all over the place. They're covering a homicide or a murder or, you know, who knows what's going on. And the only other people that work those kind of hours and live that life are other people that, that do that. And so they tend to, they're, they're, they all congregate with each other. They all sleep in with each other. And it, and it, and behind the scenes, it gets, you know, if you think about TV news and this is kind of the, 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 the plot of this movie that I made, you know, you think about TV news, it's like who watches the news, like your mom, you know, the, the bank manager, uh, your pastor at your church, like all of these like people, I'm going to watch the news. If any of those people knew what the news was like behind the scenes, they would never watch it again. Because like it is, it is literally the filthiest. It's, it, it is, it's most easily, it's the, the hive of scum and villainy. You know, it's just, it is just a cesspool. And, and movies are, are the same way. You know, uh, movies are a thing where like, you're never done with the movie. You know, there, there's a, there's a project that I'm working on today where I literally had to call the, the producer of this, this film, cause I'm, I'm editing a, someone else's film. And I had to just call him yesterday and say, I'm done with your film, dude. I'm done with it. Your film is finished. I have edited it because he was, he was wanting to, to, to tweak it to the fine detail of he was like, you know, he wanted to, you know, make, edits where somebody was blinking and stuff. And I was just like, if we're getting down to that sort of, you know, obsessive compulsiveness with this, it's finished. And I've been working on that movie, that particular film for a year and a half, I've been working on it and it's 10 minutes long. And so it's like, it, it seems like you're never done with it. Um, and I finally just had to say, it's, it's been a year and a half, your, your, deal, your thing is finished. Everybody thinks it's great stop obsessing over it. Um, but it, but it has a way of taking over your life. You can talk about that thing we shot with Nate. Um, we were doing that at, at overnight on a weekend. You know what I mean? Like most people aren't doing that. People, a lot of people on the weekend late at night, like to go get drunk. I go shoot a film. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I love it, but it's, but you have to, you have to realize that it will consume your life and you have to be okay with it. How do you how do you personally deal with that? That like, I know exactly what you're saying um, with these uh, things like that. You're never done with it, you know. Like maybe like I play guitar and I have like mm -hmm. a ton of uh, original music and arrangements and songs that I put together, and it's just like you're never satisfied with it, and and yeah. that stops so many people from even doing things. And then people that do things won't complete them. Like, how do you deal with that as, an, like, as a creative person? You have to come to the realization that you will never be finished with it, that you could tweak it forever. And, and once you realize that, you have to be able to make the decision at some point to say, okay, this is it, you know, like, and that was the argument with this, this project that I've been editing um, you know, where we were talking earlier this week about it, is like, we can continue to tweak this, this and that, but you're, you're reaching a point of diminishing returns now where it's like, are you really making it better? Or are you just in your own head about it? You know, because like, there was, there was one part where there was like a voice acting part that was in it, that was great. And, and the producer was, he was obsessing over it to the point and making the actor redo it to the point that he was making it worse, you know? And it's like, no, it was fine the first time you did it. And so you have to be able to, to sometimes just take a step back, take a deep breath, look at it, realize it's never going to be done. And, and you have to make a decision as to when it is okay to abandon it. Now I've done it so much that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I, I have a point that I reach where I go, I know that when I get here, yeah, I could, I could mess with it forever. But when I get here, I'm cutting it off because if you'd like, for example, that news movie, um, I worked on that for years. I never, I went, I, I had had it finished for three years and no one had ever even seen it. 
and it it had even played at a film festival and stuff but it but beyond that no one had ever seen it and uh this other friend producer that i work with was you know she's saying how come you've never let anyone see this and i'm like it's horrible it's bad i i hate it i, I i'm ashamed of it and she's like she's like dude it's not as bad as you think it is like you're looking at it and you're seeing all the flaws because you know where they are and and you have have this active part in creating it and so you know when you get to this part this thing's going to happen and you hate it but if you release that no one's going to know that they're just going to watch it they're not going to be looking for what you're looking and i hadn't even at that point in time, I'd, I'd stopped even watching it. I couldn't look at it. I was so frustrated with it. And then, so I went back and I watched it and I was like, yeah, she's probably right. And I put it out and I've, I've put out a lot of film projects over the years and every one of them has drawn criticism in some way. And that's another thing is that whatever artistic endeavor you do, once you put it out, you have to be ready for the fact that people aren't going to like it and they're going to give you feedback and they're going to trash it and they're going to savage it. And, and you, you have to have, you got, that's, that's where you're taking the jab cross hook to the face. And that regard is you gotta, you know, you release your film, you know, you better ch tuck your chin and get your posture ready because you got to be able to take it. You're putting yourself out there. It takes courage to do it, but you have to be ready. And I put that particular film out and it's never received any criticism. That's the only film that's never received any criticism. Man, I heard a, a quote in a book I was listening to the other day that said, um, the fear of public speaking is uh, actually the fear of ostracism, of like your peer groups and people in your society, you looking dumb in front of them or sounding, mm. Or, yeah. or whatever, whatever it is. It, but um, man, I was thinking about that. It's like with what we're talking about, it's the same thing. Is like that is what you're talking. That's what you're referring to. Is like, uh, you know, I, when I put out content on YouTube or whatever myself, it's like I've had comments and uh, negative remarks and things, and it's just like you have to take it in stride and not let it. it think about the number of people that probably stops from putting out additional stuff, or the, again, the people that never start. Well, for me, it's, it's interesting because martial arts has been a microcosm for me for life. And I, and I relate martial arts and filmmaking so much um, because in, in a way they're the same thing. You know, how much courage does it take to put on some gloves and, and, and trade punches with somebody? That's not easy. Uh, I know that, that it intimidates me even now sometimes, and I do it a lot. Um, even, even taking for me, like I, 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 I was so passionate about it and I, and I got away from it for way too long, you know, because the film and the, and the media thing took off and because I lost the school that I was training at that I wanted to train at back when I was a, a teenager. And so it's like, I never had an outlet for it. And then at, you know, in my early 30s, I'm, I'm, I keep driving plat past this inferno place going, that place looks like it's really cool. But I, I was afraid to go in because it's like, oh, that's probably just a bunch of, you know, like meatheads like that are training to go bash each other. And I'll go in there and I'm like out of shape and I'm in my 30s and I'll, I'll just get my head beat in or whatever. Um, that did actually happen. But, um, <laughs> you know, when I, when I actually did go inside and start to meet people, I realized that I was very wrong about my perception of the place. When I, when I actually met people like Caleb and, and I saw what the culture was, like the culture was the opposite of what I expected. Where it was like, hey, come in here, you know, we're your friends. We're here to make you better. And so it took courage to start a journey to like better myself, to take, to start to take myself from an over overweight, like, you know, mid thirties person and start to say, no, I can, I can change this. I can still do this. I, I can still make my, myself 
a better human being overall because I'm doing this. And that took courage to even just walk in the door. And it's the same way with filmmaking. You can have a million ideas for stories you want to tell, but it takes courage to do it. And because it's so personal, whatever story you're telling is always so personal, uh, especially if you're one of these kind of filmmakers where you go through like the whole process. Because if you look like, if you look at like a big budget film, that's not like one person's thing. You know, that's a deal where a studio, uh, a company hired somebody to write it. And once, once the writing's done, that person never sees it again. They hand it off. Uh, another group of people go make it and it's and it's a like a factory but if you're a filmmaker and you go through the whole process of you you come up with a story in your head and you fall in love with it and then you you write it and then you go and you make it and then you edit it and then you put it out there for the world however you end up putting it out there there's so much like courage that has to go into that because you it's so personal and you are putting yourself and your face and your identity and your in your heart out there because that film that you create is like that comes from your heart that comes from your soul and so when you put that out there and people are like this sucks you know there you've made yourself vulnerable to that um and it's not easy, and there, and there, and and you have to realize too that there's there's this weird process that takes place, where the movie that you see in your head when you come up with the idea is never the film you release, right? It it goes through some filters. So like when you see the movie in your head, or you in your case like say you hear the song that you're gonna do in your head. Yeah, that's how it's, per it's perfect. Because there's, you know, it's not, if you're, if you're coming up with a song, it's not filtered by the strings on your guitar, what kind of strings you have, or your ability to play the music, or the budget that you have to hire a band to work with you, or whatever, the software that you use to record it, or to, or to edit it, or whatever. It's the same thing, like, you come up with the, that movie in your head and you see it in your head and it's perfect because it's not filtered by a budget or the actors in it are perfect. It just is what it is. Then when you write it, you're taking it through the first level of that filter. And that's your own ability to write that story that you're seeing in your head. Then you run it through the filter of What's your budget? How good are the actors you hire? What locations do you have? What gear do you have? What logistics and limitations do you have to deal with? And then you shoot it and then you've got this material and then your final filter is, how do I take what I've got and, and make something with that? And really the skill level comes in all of the negotiating that happens as you pass through these filters. And one of the most important skills to develop there is to let it evolve because you're never going to make the film that's in your head. As you go through the filters, it sort of turns into something else a little bit and you have to let it run through those filters and evolve in the best way that it can. And sometimes that means giving up on, on things that you think are important. You know, you may have a scene that doesn't work. You may have a shot that doesn't work. You have a, may have a line of dialogue that thought you thought sounded great when you heard it in your head. And when somebody says it aloud, it's garbage. We call that kill your darlings. And so sometimes you make your film better by just getting rid of the stuff that's weighing it down. Um, that's a microcosm for life. You know what I mean? Um, and so the thing, the thing too, is that how, how, how is it, how does it relate to martial arts? Well, think about this cycle we go through in, in, especially in the grappling arts and jujitsu where um, like you suck and then you work on it and work on it and work on it. And then you don't suck as bad. And then you start to think like, now I'm kind of good. And then you get humiliated and you start it all over again. Awareness works that way, man. It, <laughs> it, and I think that that is it. It's like the more aware you become, the more you see the bigger picture 
and then when you loop back to like your process of development, you're like, oh man, here I am back at the bottom. It's right. an endless cycle of, of, of self, of self-awareness. So like with a film, you know, you so often, especially if you're just like doing an indie film kind of situation where like even the level that I tend to do it, where I just go do it with my friends you know what I mean? Like you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of resources and you start to film it. And maybe in some ways it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. And you start to become disappointed when you've taken the step to go out and start to make your film. And you started to film something and you started to realize that this is not turning out the way that I thought that is where you've earned your blue belt. <laughs> you could you can stop training now <laughs> and a lot of that's a lot, a lot of people walk away and it's when you look at that and you go okay no i'm that's where the real courage comes in is like okay i'm going to regroup and keep working on it and keep working on it and keep working on it and that's where it makes the difference between going from something that sucked that you gave up on to something that you finished that was actually kind of cool yeah. Yeah, man, dude, you have tons of insight. How long have you been in the game? Like you said, you still, I mean, your whole life, but like, when did you start <laughs> at 18, your mid thirties, you said, how long have you been doing film? Uh, well, with film, yeah, it, the film and the martial arts thing is, is mirrored as far as, uh, you know, what it's, what it's been in my life. Uh, I've always wanted to do the film stuff when I was about 14 my, my dad started showing me how to use a video camera. Um, I went to the, the public access station here in Fayetteville and learned how to edit there. And uh, that was when I was 14, but that was about the same time that I went to the, the youth center and started learning some Taekwondo from a really old school guy named uh, Mr. Perry, who had, who had competed and, tournaments back in the days of Chuck Norris and all those guys and uh, he, he, he was almost kind of like kickboxing but not it was still taekwondo and um, then when I was about 18 I got a real job doing doing film and not so much film but it was tv and I got so into that that the martial arts kind of fell away and and the guy that I was you know the, with the taekwondo thing that guy decided to retire because he was old. And um, the guy that replaced him was uh, a snake who was just trying to like lure people to come to his own school and charge him a whole bunch more money. And was a guy that I, I didn't feel like had a lot of integrity, so I couldn't continue on in that journey there. And then a friend of mine was like, hey, I, sold, I saw a poster for this place called Integrated Fighting Arts. And um, he wanted to call it, but he, he, or he called the number and the guy gave him the directions, but he never went like my friend that found the poster never actually went to the school. And I went down there and I met uh, a martial arts instructor, a fighting instructor who had probably want his, not want his name spoken on the internet because um, he's quite paranoid. Um, Caleb knows him. He knows who I'm talking about. But he had a school in Fayetteville off of Dixon Street that was literally in a, uh, an abandoned meat cellar, a meat, like, freezing, like, a, like an old freezer, essentially, just like a giant meat locker kind of situation. And, you know, you, like, you go into a martial arts school, and it's like there's, like, all these, you know, the McDojo joke now where it's the bright lights and the mirrors and all this. This was like a, this was the basement somewhere, you know, really low lighting and he had all these knives on the wall. And, uh, but this was a guy who was one of the first people ever to go, let's take some boxing and combine it with some grappling and, and uh, put it all together and see what happens. And he was teaching like a, a form of mixed martial arts in the nineties before it was popular. Um, his approach was really not so much competition as it was like just self-defense. 
you know, he would, he would turn the lights off and make us roll. He would, he would make us do obstacle courses on concrete. He would, I mean, he would make little, you know, like knives and we'd have, have to have knife fights. And it was like the most weird thing you've ever seen, but, but it was also just, it was the coolest place you've ever been to. And he got real into guns and that sort of thing and started emphasizing more like guns and stuff like that and stopped really teaching like hand to hand. Um, and then he just kind of disappeared. Um, and I've seen him around a couple of times and been like, Hey, how's it going? And he's, and he's just like, you know, like, Hey, um, and Caleb has told me a couple of times, like, yeah, he's kind of like, he's kind of become a bit of a branch Davidian, you know, <laughs> like hides off in the woods from people and, and doesn't really talk to anybody. And, you know, if you see him, he records the conversation. I'm like, he could still kill you, but, um, so that was, that was, but that was an experience that changed my life because it opened my mind up outside of the traditional world, martial arts world. It was my first experience with grappling. We were grappling with our shoes on. We would, we would come in in like camo pants and like a black shirt and our shoes and we would grapple like that. He would take us outside and be like grapple on the concrete, you know, cause like somebody might assault you in the street. You're not going to have a mat, like roll on. And we would do it. You know, like it was so unsafe, sign a waiver, you know, and we would go do it. And, um, you know, when I, when I started working in TV, I just stopped doing it and, um, and I got really out of shape and then I, you know, found it again, started training again, lost a bunch of weight and then got really, really into film again and gained, gained it all back. So <laughs> I'm, I'm working on, working on making another comeback. So. Uh, how how old were you when you decided to go to film school? I was 22. I was 22. How long did you go? Did you undergraduate do four years? Uh, no, I, I only I only did a two-year program um, because, like, I wish that I had, I had made the decision to, to like, more concentrate on the philosophical aspects of it and the more like deep aspects of it. But back then I was just like, man, I want to get to work. You know, I was so eager and I was already in my early twenties. So like, I didn't want to invest a bunch of time. I just wanted to get after it. Um, so the program that I went to was really technical in nature. It was, it was really just about learning the nitty gritty of, of how it all works, cameras, lighting, audio, hands-on it was a really hands-on film school where they just like here's the gear go do it and and um it was a it was an interesting program because what you'd end up doing is you you'd have class at four in the morning you know at four in the morning you'd be in a filmmaking lab editing or learning how uh, uh to change film in a tent you know because back when it was film before we went all digital with everything you can't if you're changing out film reels, you can't do that in light. You'll expose the film. You know, you take the film out of the can and put it in the camera, it would, it would expose the film. So you'd have to build a tent and you'd have to put the can inside the tent and then like the, the magazine inside the tent and you'd have to like reach in with your hands and do it by touch and, and take the old film reel out of the, the magazine, put it in the can, take the new one out of the can, put it in the magazine, and then, you know, mount it to the camera and thread it through and, and attach it. Cause it was all mechanical. It was all the film camera ever was, was just a mechanical device that would pull the film through the gate, you know? Um, and so you'd have to learn how to thread it. It was all about the lenses. Um, when you would shoot with 35 and 16 millimeter film, you know, like if you have like a video camera today, you can see what you're recording. You just look at the screen. You're shooting with film. You don't know because it's, it's photochemical. You're looking through the viewfinder. You're not actually seeing what you're filming. Uh, you're seeing maybe the framing of it, but you would have to use mathematics to determine the exposure to determine what light you used, where, how bright that light was versus how it was exposing on the film. It was a lot harder back then. And so uh, I went through this really, really accelerated program where you were going to school all the time, seven days a week um, at night in the morning. And it was two years of doing that nonstop. 
and I learned a lot. I probably got the equivalent of a master's degree now in just knowledge and experience. Um, but as, I, I just got like basically a two-year degree when I went to film school and then I just leaped into action. Nice. And what, so you got out, you're 24, you've been in the game professionally for what, 10 years plus since? Uh, it's 20 now. <laughs> oh, wow. How old are um, you? You don't mind me asking. I, I'm, I turned 40 this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I turned 33 on Monday, bro. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's been 20 years of this and a lot, uh, 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 uh some amount of that time, a good amount of that time has been shooting narrative film work and really enjoying it. And then uh, a lot of it has been shooting football games. <laughs> yeah. Make yeah. a lot of money off that. So, um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I've been doing a lot of that. I've been, I've made a lot of really bad commercials just because it's what the client wanted. Uh, everything. I mean, like bars, car dealerships, political campaigns, you name it, uh, everything that's not porn. So um, it, it's funny though, like you can, you can get on like the websites where you look for gigs and that kind of stuff will be posted. And there was, there was one time where I saw it was like a, an ad for just like an editor where you're editing porn 40 hours a week. And I thought, man, like, at some point you would be editing porn and you would just, you would just sit back and look what was frozen on the screen and go, this is my life. I don't know how anyone could do that. That's hilarious, <laughs> dude. What a, what a, what a interesting time to be alive. That that's, yeah. a, that's a way you can make a living. 40 hours a week, you know, and I was just like, gosh, who could do that? The sex trade is, has uh, grown and expanded into something totally different with that holy crap <laughs> so yeah no i i've I, you know I've, I've done a lot of things and i've gained a lot of experience along the way and um i i, I wish that i were shooting narrative films all the time just that was my full-time you know what i did for do for a living and it's getting to where maybe it will be that way in two or three years nice I think, you know, cause I've, I've started to get those kind of gigs now, but it's, it's hard, you know, you have to get people to give your, give you a chance. You really have to prove yourself. There's so many people that want to do it. And, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you can get on, on, on the ground floor and you don't have any expenses and you can just start by getting someone some coffee, you know, that's a thing that's hard for me to do at my age. And so I've had to, I've had to prove myself as far as the quality of my work to people. It's starting to pay off and, and I'm glad I've, I've, I've had some really fun and interesting projects that I've been able to work on the past couple of years. Yeah. We used to always joke back in the day um, that somebody should do a real world Inferno spinoff. Oh yeah. Like a reality show about all like the, just everything that goes on inside of a super big gym franchise organization. It's, uh, as you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting get, getting all these personality types together. And yeah. Um, that, that is a really comical place Inferno. Um, it is, it's always been fun because there are so many like neat people there. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts of, of the journey is just meeting all of the, the fun people you meet in the martial arts world. I feel like it's better than it was. You know, when I, when, when I did a lot of martial arts, like in the 1990s, it was just, there was so much BS, you know what I mean? There was just so much posturing and so much fakeness to it because, a lot of the, the arts that were being done were bull crap. You know what I mean? Like the, the science experiment that is the UFC really did change what it is. It made it so much more honest. And I feel like there's a, a very different culture to it now. Uh, I really like the jujitsu approach where it's like, you got a lot of people um, who are just trying to help each other become better, you know, whether or not, whether or not you tap that other person 
that you're rolling with is is not the point you know what i mean like that whoever you're 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 going up against in the tournament whoever you're you're rolling with in class that person is not your opponent you are your opponent you're trying your your goal is to get better than you were yesterday and and if you do that you've won and everybody else is trying to help everyone else get there um that's not the case in the film world. In the film world, there's a lot of really ugly competition. There's a really a lot of really ugly backslapping, backstabbing, and that sort of thing that happens. And that's that was something that has blown my mind about looking at the two things is to go, you know, you're you're literally in a situation with martial arts where you're you're simulating murder. You know, we're choking each other. We're we're breaking bones. Whatever. That's what and we're. And you and I are probably like in some level, like we're sitting there watching it and we're bored by it. Like. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, and it's. Cool. But it's like you know you're hitting a guy in the face. He's hitting you in the face, or you choke somebody, or they choke you, and once you're done with this this violent encounter, uh, you're like you give each other a hug and you say thank you. You know what I mean? The whole thing starts with the, the secret handshake. You know what I mean? So it's like there's a camaraderie and a, and a, and a passion. Once you've shared that, that, that struggle for life and death with another person, they're your brother. They're your sister. And, and in film, everyone's trying is actually trying to sabotage everyone else, whereas in martial arts, everyone's trying to make each other better. And that's been a, an interesting thing to look at and an interesting philosophy to me to be like, what if what if you could port one to the other what if the attitude in film is let's try and make each other better you know and so that's what i've i've tried to do is i'm going to go to all the people that i know in the filmmaking world and try to make them better try to help them on their journey in the same way and that's that's become an important thing to me that's awesome man yeah, I mean, that, that should be the goal is, uh, you know, that saying, uh, I hear it all the time, but just the the rising tide ri uh, raises all ships metaphor, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that, that should be the goal versus the dog-eat-dog -dog type of environment. Yeah, and in, in, in a lot, and I, I would imagine that there's something similar in music where, you know, everybody's real competitive, you know, everybody wants to be be the top artist. Everybody wants to be the person that, that outshines everyone. And look, it was like martial, in martial arts, it was like that in the 90s where everybody wanted to be the big flashy person. Um, there was there was one instructor in Fayetteville who he was really more about the image of it all than the actual substance. And there are a lot of people who believed that he wasn't even legitimately what he claimed to be as far as his, his rank and all that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not going to say who it was. Caleb knows, would know who I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, we even had that, we had that same situation in Russellville, man. Uh, older gentleman. That, there are probably a lot of guys like that. Well, yeah. There was, you think pre-internet how many people were doing that probably. You know, because there was there was no way there's no way to verify it. You know what I mean? Especially if you're just like a karate guy or something. There's there's no way ever anyone's ever going to know. And that's what again is so honest about the way we do martial arts now is that you cannot bullcrap this. You know what I mean? You just can't. If you if you're bad, you'll get tapped. If you're bad, you'll get kicked in the head. Because we don't we don't mess around with it the way people used to, you know. You put on the gloves and you go live. You 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 shake hands and you roll. You, you know you can't hide it now. And the thing that it's that it, it has taught me is that the absolute best way to improve in martial arts, the key to it is humility and honest self reflection. To look at yourself and say, I am nobody. I have done nothing. And this is what I need to do to improve. And then to be, then to open yourself up to receive that knowledge and experience to empty your cup so that it may be filled. And I'm still nobody and I'm still done nothing. You know what I mean? But the journey is what fulfills me. There's, there's, there's never, there's going to be uh, no point in time where I could ever defeat some people. There's never going to be any point in time where I could ever touch someone like you rolling with them 
It's never going to happen. That's not the point. The point of it is just to enjoy what you're doing with the people that you're doing it with and make yourself a better person. That's what it's about. Well, too, and maybe that is the only path to what you're talking about actually happening. And, and then you having some awareness about it, like, oh, I never thought this would happen. And ooh, it has, because there are moments like that, too. It's not always just like, oh, man, I just became more aware that I suck. <laughs> you know, sometimes you do sit back and you realize your accomplishments. And man, um, that's just kind of what I've taken away repeatedly every every year that I've spent. It's just like going on my 14th year. I'm like, man, like every year I take more and more away. It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, the, and the interesting parallel there is, you know, when I, when I made that news movie and thought it was really bad, you know, a friend of mine, you know, she was like, this film is not as bad as you think it is. And there are many times when Nathan Murdoch is like, bro, you're not as bad as you think you are. You're, yeah. you're better than you think you are. Yeah. And man, it's just like you were, we were hitting on earlier. It's like, it can be good and it can be bad, but we're all our own worst critics in the, in the worst ways. Mm -hmm. and, but, and as long as you, as long as that, that criticism is something that you, you, you view in a healthy way and you take steps to let it fuel you to become better. Um, and as long as, you know, it, it's so much better than, than having an inflated sense of ego and an, and an artificial confidence that doesn't come from anything real. Um, the, the, the worst thing in martial arts is arrogance. Um, it will hold you back from getting better. It'll probably get your ass kicked these days. Uh, and no one will like you. <laughs> yeah, for real, man. I mean, look, like I said, the, 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 the guy that, that I hold in the highest regard as far as martial arts and is, is like the, the, the most kick-ass dude I know is the most humble guy I know. Seriously. He is so humble. He's just like, hey, bro. You know, he's he, – it, it was that – the podcast he did was just so him. You know what oh, I mean? Like, God. he's on his skateboard – and then, and then the part that I thought was the funniest is, is that after he's done skateboarding, he comes in and he gets in his bed. He's like yeah. laying in his bed, like doing this podcast. I'm like, who's doing the podcast from their bed? You know, it was so him. And I, and I was like, I, I love the part where you just like went and laid in your bed. And he's like, Oh, I forgot I did that. Dude. I was, um, I was talking with Nate about like, this martial arts and like how like we were actually talking about justin raider have you trained with him yet i've i've met him i i've not seriously trained with him uh, at dude. All. It, well he's super enlightened let's just put it that way like when it comes to teaching and breaking it down the dude blows mine and nate's mind like he was he was doing some guard pass stuff that was like yeah, his takedown game i mean his whole game is sick but like we were sitting there just like oh, man, Justin Raider, this, he's so good at that, like, so smart. And, like, Nate was, like, really just, like, blown away by it. And I was like, bro, I look at you that same way. Like, everything we're saying, I see you the same way, dude. And he was like, no. No. And, and it's, it is funny, like. That, he doesn't believe it. That one well, made me realize in that conversation, and I've, like, remarked on it with people since, it's like, Justin Rader probably doesn't realize that he's blowing us away. Right. You know, like how often does a person realize how significant or important they really are because of the type of stuff we're talking about earlier, like of, oh, you know, it's shit. I'm shit. My stuff is shit. You know, and it's well, like. Yeah. I mean, how many, like I said, there, there, are, there are videos on YouTube of, of Nate just destroying people. And, and you ask him about that, like if you ask him, he, he ended a person's career. Like he sent a guy to the hospital and he, the dude never fought again, right? You ask him about his, his fighting career and, and you know what he says? He's like, I'm so, I was so dumb. I did all, all these dumb things. I, was, I wasn't very good. Like he's, he has the, he's really humble about the fact that he went and won a bunch of fights. Nate is one of the humblest <laughs> dudes you'll ever meet. So, hey, speak it, dude. Uh, I actually, I'm about to go see Nate's mom. Okay. 
I got an appointment cool. with her, uh, fortunately. So um, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Bro, can, sure. can you tell people that are listening to this, do you have a YouTube channel that they could go um, check out some of your stuff on? Yeah, you know, um, if you're a Star Trek fan, that yes, I know, yes. I know a lot of people are Wars fans. I like them both. Uh, I, I one thing that I do is I make uh, Star Trek fan films. I have a YouTube channel called Avalon Universe, where uh, make a lot of Star Trek fan films with my friend Victoria Fox, and uh, Nate is in one of them as a Klingon warrior. He dies, um, and then. Uh, I have a film on YouTube called Your Local News that uh, I'll send you that you can you can put a link to. Thanks, man. Well, and two, um, send me a link to one of your fan films. I'd love to share it on the uh, podcast page. Favorite episode, maybe the episode we're talking about with Nate or something. You got if you, it. If you have them available. No problem. Yeah, I can do that. All right, bro. Thanks All so right. much for your time, Josh. I really um, I enjoyed just sitting down talking with you. I'm glad we Anytime. finally got to do it. All right. You have a great day, Brian. Thank you. All right, bro. Have a good one.